All right, we're an hour and ten minutes away from first pitch at Fenway Park as the Jays open a three-game series against the Boston Red Sox. The Jays lineup, Merrifield, Springer, Guerrero, Jansen, Oof. Kirk, Chapman, Schneider, DeYoung, Dalton Varsho, Alec Manoa is on the mound. If this lineup doesn't the work, Blue Jays. I mean, they're out of options. Well, <laughs> not really. They, <laughs> if, if David, they are. If Davis Schneider gets a couple of hits tonight, he might move into the cleanup spot. He'll be hitting second. Could be hitting second. <laughs> yeah, they pretty much tried I mean, everything with uh, old George, have. haven't they? Well, I mean, give give Snyder credit. Well, he ain't messing around. Like it's whatever working. Like we're is, gonna try everything. And you know what? You can actually I, the fact that Bo is on the IL, it's like you almost have more freedom to do it because yeah. your best hitter isn't there. So and you stink. You go where I tell you. <laughs> That's uh, what it well. is. That's what basically. No. Let's ask the manager of the Toronto Blue Jays if his team stinks. I'm just kidding. Uh, we had a chance to talk to the manager, John Schneider, a little earlier today in Boston ahead of tonight's game. Very pleased to be joined from Boston by the manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, John Schneider. John, thanks so much for joining Blair and Barker. Just a general first question for you. You probably knew you were going to get asked this, so I'll ask it right out of the gate. How are they 7-0 and against you? Uh, man, I mean, they, they're a tough lineup to navigate. And I think, uh, you know, there's been some tight games. There's been some, you know, last play of the game games at the plate. There's been a whole lot of stuff that's, um, you know, been back and forth, but I, I mean, to say how they're seven and zero against us, I mean, I couldn't really tell you, it depends, you know, you're, you're playing teams at certain times of the year. You know, I think when we played them here last time, we were, we were in a bad little stretch there in May and, um, you know, that kind of got us into that bad little stretch. And I feel like when we played them at our place, it was, it was some back and forth games that didn't go our way. So, um, you know, hopefully, you know, this series here, you, you set out to try to win it and you can get off on the right foot tonight, but it's, uh, it's been a weird thing. You know, when you look at our record between these guys and, and Baltimore, for sure. Well, John, it would sure help uh, if you turn a certain thing around that you guys don't do very well, and that's hitting with runners in scoring position. I know you know these stats, but I'm going to throw them out anyway. You guys are 28th in average with hitting with runners in scoring position. You're 28th in slugging, which is absolutely a shock to me with the guys that you have in your order that should be able to backspin a, a homer to right center field occasionally and, and make that a little bit better. And you were two for 29 with runners in scoring position in the four games against the Orioles probably why you lost three out of the four because the pitching's been really good but the obvious question is approaches like for me now correct me if i'm wrong john one through nine looks like they have nine different approaches and i i just don't really understand that it's like when you face a guy got a good breaking ball don't swing at the breaking ball till you get to two strikes like hunt the hater wherever you do damage on that hater if you like it away look away like if you like it in look in like and it just consistently for whatever reason fans and we as the media just are not seeing that why do you think that is yeah that's fair um that's you know i think you know people are uh you know not you know going to disagree with you when they're seeing that um it just comes down to, you know, we're trying not to talk about it too much. Guys are aware of it. They're aware of all those stats, right? They're aware of everything that you just said. And I think that they're trying not to harp on it. They're trying to move on from it and get better at it, you know? So um, I think having a consistent approach is definitely a thing um, that has been here and there with us sometimes. 
Um, you know, different game situations call for different approaches, right? You get a guy on third, you got to be ready to hit the heater pitch one. Um, it, it's the same thing with the runner at second. It's kind of like where you're looking. And um, I, when, I mean, we have the people to do that and then some, you know what I mean? When you look up and down our lineup, it's just a matter of everyone doing it consistently. I think when you, when you pair that with, you know, our pitching and our defense, you know, I think that's when you get back to going, okay, yeah, this is our, this is our A game. This is what we're, this is what we're built to do. And right now we're kind of, you know, we're, we're not as consistent in one of those areas. So everything that you said, the guys are aware of, we are aware of all the stats, um, trying not to dwell on those and trying to move on from them is what we're doing. <clears throat> and I think the way we have to do it is just to, you know, come up with a very convicted approach as a team and stick to it. You know, there's a difference between having it and a difference between sticking to it. We got to stick through it, you know, for, for 27 ounces. John, do you think coaching-wise the conversation needs to be different like it's, you know, Guillermo, the hitting coach, needs to sit all nine starters in a room and go, hey, this is the plan. This is what we're trying to – or is he doing that already? Do you like what they're speaking before the game actually starts is my question. Yeah, they're, they're doing that. Um, they have been doing that. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's a uh, very simple message to the group before each game. So – um, it's just it's a matter of, of just going out and executing it. And again, I think that you look at the names in our lineup, and we have everyone and every name and every skill set to just go do it. And um, you know, hopefully it turns. You know, we again, it's we're comfortable and confident with the group that we have. You know what I mean? And I think when you just go out there and you start doing it over and over again, confidence starts coming back into it in the whole nine yards. So yeah, everything that's been talked about before the game is <clears throat> has been consistent. It's been simple. Um, it's just a matter of going out and doing it. John, we know that uh, David Schneider is in the lineup. What can he bring to this team? And, you know, as someone who spent time managing in this minor league system, it's got to be kind of it's, it's got to be kind of cool, isn't it, to see a to see a dude come up who's, you know, wasn't on the radar all the time, but has clearly worked hard, has clearly impressed people, has clearly improved his game. It's kind of like that that old baseball story, right? Guy just goes to triple A and hits and, and he gets rewarded. Yeah. I mean, we've known him for a couple of years, you know, never really been invited to major league camp, but has always found himself over um, at a handful of games each year. And I think he's, he's a guy that when you look at what we've done for our minor league system in terms of, um, you know, how we're accommodating them with their living, um, how they're being paid, what they're being provided for nutrition and, and, um, you know, physical development standpoint, I think he, he's a guy that really jumps out that he he's taken advantage of all that and he's kind of seen the benefits of it. And it's a uh, it is a really cool story. <clears throat> a guy he's worked his ass off for five or six years in the system, and um, and he's rewarded with a debut at Fenway Park in the middle of a playoff hunt. So um, excited for him to be here. What he brings, you know, numbers speak for themselves. In AAA, he's one of the most productive hitters in AAA with. You know, is on base, is slugging. He makes really good decisions at the plate with the pitches he swings at, and he knows when he can do where he can do damage. So we're looking for him to continue to do the same. Um, you know, I know it'll be a little bit you know quick for him tonight in his debut, like it is for everybody probably. But uh, you know, he's got a he's got a chance to I think give us a little spark. So far, have you liked the six man rotation? Yeah, I mean, I think it's good for it's good for our starters, right? Getting the extra day, um, it does get a little bit tricky sometimes. You can see it where you're kind of maneuvering around the bullpen. So I think, you know, 
it's a fine line between pushing a starter too far and walking him into uh, some trouble, and you know, getting a getting a guy in from the bullpen a little bit early, and then making sure that everyone's got to nail their assignment in order for uh, you to not run out of pitching. So it's uh, it's I think it's good, yes, to answer your question um, at this time of year, and more we're continuing to you know evaluate to see how long we're going to go with it. John, you moved George Springer into the cleanup spot uh, during the last homestand. He did get out of his 0-4, um, but you know, there's still the results were, were mixed, I guess, to be charitable. Um, you've also got a guy in Danny Jansen who seems to have an ability to come through in the clutch. Um, I don't know if we can – I always know there's a debate in baseball. How do you identify clutch hitting? Hmm. I, I don't know it. But I know it when I see it, right? I don't know how to do it, but I kind of know it when I see it. Right. Uh, any thoughts on moving Danny up in the order and and maybe taking advantage of that hot bat, even if it's just temporary? I mean, I think we're always trying to find ways to make our team a little bit better or take advantage of, you know, who's doing what and try to be a little bit more efficient. Um, it's something, you know, we've talked about in terms of who we're facing, right-hander, left-hander, you know, trying to maximize some of those matchups for uh, for Jano, for Kirky, for for anyone really. Um, so yeah, we're we're continuing to talk about that. And again, it's uh, I think it really where they kind of line up. It's you know the the goal is still the same. The goal is we want these guys to be just who they are, no matter if there's nobody on base or if there's guys on base. You know that's the whole goal. I think when you see what you see with Jano is you know a, a consistent approach, no matter what the situation is. He knows where he can hit it. He's leaning into what he can drive. Um, and he's he's kind of just owning that consistently, and I think it's I mean, we've seen stats where he's up there with most RBIs after the eighth inning in Major League Baseball. I think it just comes with him doing the same thing over and over again and seeing and seeing good results no matter what the situation. So that's kind of that's kind of the goal, no matter where these guys are. You know, we just want that to be the case because their talent is definitely there. Uh, Jordan Hicks uh, got into a couple of games in this uh, this past homestand. He was, of course, acquired from St. Louis. We know that Yenesis Cabrera has been there for a couple of weeks as well. How different? How different does your bullpen feel to you as a manager with those two guys, and in particular Hicks and the stuff that he has? Yeah, it feel it feels different in a really good way. Having for one a second, you know pretty effective lefty um, against left-handed hitters other than Mesa. And then two, having a guy with arguably some of the best stuff in baseball that can strike you out. It can get you on the ground and have a quick double play and a quick inning. You can go multiple innings. I mean, um, it is, it is different for sure in a really good way. And I think when you kind of look ahead a little bit and you're talking about Jordan Hicks, Jordan Romano, Eric Sponson, Tim Mesa, Yimmy Garcia, Chad Green, Cabrera. I mean, you got a lot of names down there that can do some things and allow guys to kind of not get overworked a little bit. So um, I think the, those two additions have been awesome. Um, those two guys are happy to be here, excited to be here. And stuff speaks for themselves, man. Hicks Hicks was uh, was pretty electric his second outing. Not an ideal debut outing with the score being what it was when he got in when on a day he had a pitch. Um, but I think what you saw, you know, in his second outing is what we can expect. It's a, uh, it's a really big arm to have down there. Okay, this is it's gonna uh, probably gonna be a real 
kind of, I don't know if I'd say a silly question, but he throws, I mean, he throws harder than anybody in your bullpen. For, for people who haven't played the game, John, what is the difference between a 100-mile-an-hour fastball and a 102- or 103-mile-an-hour fastball? Um, two or three miles an hour. Now, right. <laughs> um, I, and I think we, I think you kind of bucket velo in the into certain spots, right? There's like, oh, this dude's a ninety, he's a ninety-three to ninety-six. This cat's a ninety-six to ninety-nine, or a hundred. And then there's like that extra gear. You know, it sounds funny to say like, oh, we're going to put guys in buckets of who that guys throw a hundred, and there's a lot of them now. But um, it, it's just it's a different feeling for a hitter. You know, it's when you're so geared to a certain. Um, a certain speed, and then it has a little bit of extra of that late life or that late finish. And with Jordan's case, it's it's actually sinking in on your hands or away from your barrel, um, a righty or lefty. It's uh, it's just a different feeling. It's tough to explain. I'm glad I don't have to look at it uh, anymore um, as a hitter. But it's um, it's got that extra gear where you have to make a decision that much quicker, and it allows for other pitches to be effective as well. Uh, John, which one do you think has helped Yusei Kikuchi more, the, maintaining his fastball velocity the way he has or implementing the slow-breaking ball that goes with the slider and the velocity on the fastball? Great question, Kevin. I think they both are are similarly important. You know, um, him understanding that his fa- – he had a great fastball his last outing. I mean, he I thought he had electric stuff his last outing, but – him kind of working with Pete and understanding how hitters reviewing his slider and fastball and then kind of saying, okay, what can I do to get them off of that a little bit? Because when I do pair them together in the right spot, they're two really good pitches. So the curveball to me is what has really kind of put him over the edge to where he can flip it in. Oh, well, you know, he can flip it into the middle of a count and then he's got that, you know, slider from, you know, strike the ball or 96, 97 by you, you know, or at the top of the zone, it's a, uh, I think it's just him kind of unlocking and understanding all of the all of the weapons that he has. So it's just a credit to him to kind of keep evolving. Uh, John, how much tougher is it to take him out? Like, is there is there a certain pitch that you start looking at now? Because now he's got three plus ones. Now that you're talking about the breaking ball and the and the velocity on the fastball, and all those look the same because of the mechanical changes he's made. Like, is there a certain pitch that you look for that you know? Uh oh, the breaking ball's not breaking them as much, or uh oh, he's missing arm side more. Is there one thing you're looking for that you start going now? We should start getting somebody loose. I think, I mean, his fastball has been pretty consistent, you know, all year um, in terms of where he's trying to put it. When I see the curveball being landed, I know that, I shouldn't say no, it's a pretty good um, indicator that he's going to be pretty good that night. So when the curveball's landed and he's taken slider on righties from strike the ball, he's uh, he's usually going to have a pretty good night. Um, so that's the one I kind of look at when he doesn't have the curve or the change and it gets a little bit heater slider reliant um, only is when I think you see more foul balls, you see the pitch count get, you know, worked a little bit higher and things like that. So having having that second breaking ball, I think, just keeps hitters just enough in between. And, uh, you know, just like going back to talking about, you know, putting velocity in buckets, you know, with Cooch, if his curveball isn't there, he's got the hard slider, 89-90, and then the fastball. That's kind of two pitches in the same bucket, and it makes it a little bit easier to adjust where you got, you know, 83 in your back pocket too, you know, then 96, it's it's a little bit more of a back and forth. So when he's got that curveball going, I feel like he's going to have a good night. 
John, you mentioned Chad Green. Uh, how close do you think he is to joining this bullpen and, you know, understanding that Trevor Richard is on the I.L. and understanding that Jordan is on the I.L. and that they're, they're going to be working their way back, hopefully, uh, sooner as opposed to later. Where could you see Chad sort of profiling in the bullpen? Yeah, I think he's, you know, a couple a couple weeks away, I would say, probably. Um, <clears throat> all the reports have been great with all of his outings and how he's feeling during and after them. But I can see him sliding into really any role um, <laughs> from the fifth inning to the ninth inning, you know, just depending on where we are in the order. A guy with his kind of stuff can come in and kind of squash something um, and, and go back out and, and throw the next inning. Um, or if it's a string of righties and let's say Jordan Hicks is down and you want to throw Chad in there before you go to Romano. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways you can kind of slice it when, when he is back and he's pitched leverage innings in this division for his whole career. So um, I think when we get down to it and we have a fully healthy functioning bullpen, you're going to have really just your choice of who you want to deploy where based on who's coming up. Um, it's kind of a, uh, you know, it's like having your cake and eating it too. John, we're going to let you scoot. Appreciate you doing this. Uh, go get him in Boston. You bet, guys. Yeah, good luck, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. As always, guys. Appreciate it. It's John Schneider, manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, 7-10 will be the first pitch tonight. So Danny Jansen is in the lineup hitting cleanup. George Springer is hitting second. And uh, Davis Schneider uh, in the lineup and hitting seventh. And we were just watching some of Davis Schneider's batting practice. Little dude, short swing. Got a little power the other way, too, which is a big deal, right? That'll keep the barrel in the hitting zone a little longer. He he's he got a little open up whenever his foot, front foot lands, which allows him to catch up the velocity. That's the big difference between when I played and now is you got to clear the hips. You can't land closed as much. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. lands closed a lot. That don't happen often. You got to clear the front hips a little bit to allow your hands to be a little freer, a little quicker to catch up to velocity. So you got to like this. I'm rooting for him. Like, oh, hell yeah. So I'm going to do well. I mean, it's... Dude's a, 27, dude's a 27th round pick. Yeah. And, and as John Schneider said, you know what? There's there's a guy who took advantage of... took advantage, Well, I'm going to ask you this. Don't you wish when you played in the minors you had all the stuff these dudes have now? Maybe. It might be a, it might be a lot. Like, I, I'm not sure how I would have handled all that. I was, I was pretty... I was pretty stubborn. <laughs> I was like, I like cannot I, believe I, you I, being stubborn. Whoa. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah, I, knew, I knew what Knocked I was. me over with a feather. Well, wow. I knew what I was trying to do. And, and how dare you tell me something other than that? So it was, I don't know. I don't know how I would have handled that. You know, it was it's a little different then. Whenever I played, it was a lot performance driven. It's not a lot of the times that. Well, this so dude, just is, not, this he dude this is it. a performance driven decision. I, the, yeah, there's, you know, it's, it's, uh, hopefully he is being exactly the same guy he was when he was in Buffalo. Don't overdo it. Think middle the other way. You can tell that swing is directed that way. Looks like he can catch up to velocity, which is a big deal. You know, don't come up here trying to be the savior. He's reading the box score just like everybody else is. What? Huh? Oh, for 10 with runners and scoring. Two for 29? Boy, I can get ready. I got 60 ribbies. I can come up and hell. Don't think that. If you do, you're going to chase. You're going to overswing. You're going to, you know, you're going to go outside the box and you're going to look exactly like everybody else looks in the order. So be yourself. If he does that, he'd be fine. 
In our conversation with John Schneider, I asked him about Jordan Hicks and about the velocity we've seen from Jordan Hicks. And he's, all, he's, throw, he's, all, he's already throwing the fastest pitch in Blue Jays history. Um, you stood in against dudes. And I don't know how many dudes you saw throw 102. Not many. But you stood in against guys who could hit 100 at least. Yeah. Really dumb question from a non-player. What is the difference to a hitter between 93, 94, and 100? Yeah, I think direction. That, that, that's the, the word I can give you. It, you. Anything up until 95, I can direct that. I can let it travel. I can hit it where I want it to go. I can, you know, have good direction with my eyes to direct the barrel to where I want the ball to end up. If I want to hit behind the runner, which I couldn't do that because I was left-handed, I'd have to pull the baseball. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can do things up until it gets to 95. After that, Survival, it, all, right? it all looks the <clears throat> same. Like now you're just trying to throw hands at ball. Like you're that's all you're doing. You're trying to you just be as short and quick. It's like Davis has eliminated the leg kick and he's got the toe and tap. has the toe tap. That's a timing thing, right? It, we talked about Vladdy all year, the struggles he's had with consistency of just getting the head out, creating some hard hit in the air consistently. It's hard to do that when you have tons of movement. And now you got pitching coaches and khakis and pitchers that see all that stuff happening. And you, we've seen it. We've seen it while we're sitting yeah. together. They'll hold the ball. They'll make him stand there like a statue. Now he's thinking, okay, when am I starting? When when do I – how far will my hands go? Because I'm sort of starting, stopping too long, and now my hands are sort of – gravity's taking over, and they're going too low. Now I got to get them back up because I have a level swing. It's not – you just have to make adjustments. Like when one thing's not working, you got to correct it and figure out a way to get to velocity. So to long-winded answer, to answer your question, after 95, not sure there's a difference. Like, it doesn't look any different. Like, you don't think you have to... feel different to hit? Well, it's just because it's... If you're, if you're facing three digits, sod. Like, it's... Ooh. Like, it gives you a little bit of internal thought that now I have to do something quicker. After 95, you, it's sort of the same way. Like, right. I, I'm timing that up sort of, the, sort of the exact same way, right? It's just now maybe I'm thinking a little bit more further out in front of the plate. I'm not really changing anything with and, my mechanics. It's just my mindset now I'm trying to make contact. I used to be a guy because I was left-handed. I would always think left-center. I would walk up to the flood plate and I'd do my little routine and I'd dig in and I'd change my batting gloves and I'd tighten them and, you know, I'd sort of do the little turn of my, just to give it a little look at my muscles, you know, how dare you throw that thing in there, I'm going to hit this thing to the moon. And then the next thing I would do after I dug in was to look up and find a spot in left center because I wanted my direction, my front side, my shoulders, I wanted my hands, my barrel to end up that way because I wanted to create backspin, the big part of the field. That was my thought. Because of velocity, mm. it'd be hard to do that now. Because if the, if you're thinking the other way all the time because of hard throwers, the elevated fastball, now instead of making contact there, I'm fouling that ball off instead of putting that ball in play, and that's not what you want to do. So it's Who, mindset. Now maybe I'm thinking center field instead of left center. Who's the hardest the hardest thrower you faced. Kevin Brown was one. I think that was. He had a slider too, right? Didn't he? Well, yeah. I mean, it was more the the way through it, how he would throw. 
Wearing he had the old, throw it he like had he no was, sleeves, no long sleeves. He had the big biceps too, man. Yeah, was it a, was. But I could hit velocity. Like yeah. I, it was the plate awareness on the ball in, and sometimes the old Uncle Charlie didn't. I think you like said he. Billy Wagner too. Yeah, like he was, but but he gave you the the you know it was the straight one, and you knew it was coming. Like he ain't messing around. It's middle away here. See if you could hit it, and if you could hit it, he'll tip your head. If you couldn't, I got to like a seventeen hopper to. Do the sh- uh, the shortstop and third base hole. I take it. Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? Uh, Jeff Passan is ESPN's MLB insider. He too is one of our Friday regulars. Uh, we've given him a couple of weeks off because uh, he uh, well he broke his back uh, when a uh, during a storm when the limb fell on him. Uh, but he's back in circulation, and he's going to join us next. It's Blair and Barker on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. will be the first pitch tonight as Kevin Barker's Toronto Blue Jays take on uh, the Boston take Red Sox. It'll be Alec Manoa in the mound for the Blue Jays. Big Maple for the Red Sox. And uh, <laughs> the Red Sox 7-0 against the Jays this year. And they just threw up uh, the Jays, the Red Sox offensive numbers against the oh, uh, Jays in the seven wow. games. There's a lot of dudes with one point Something, something, something OPSs. Did you notice that? And then all they had for Verdugo was two game-winning home runs. Huh. Uh, as we mentioned, 7-10 uh, will be the first pitch tonight. The Jays looking for their first win of the year against the Boston Red Sox. Um, and uh, Davis Schneider has been called up. He is in the lineup. He will be at hitting seventh. Paul DeYoung will be right behind him at shortstop. He is, of course, one of the players the Jays got at the trade deadline. Speaking of which... The man who has made his living dominating the trade deadline. Dominated. Yeah. Jeff Passan of ESPN joins us. How are you doing, sir? And I mean this seriously. How how are you doing after your uh after your your uh your your broken back? I mean, I just hate saying that because it makes me queasy thinking it, but <laughs> how you doing? I'm doing okay. I uh you know, the the deadline was rough, but the deadline's always rough, and I wouldn't I wouldn't say I. How did you characterize it? You didn't Broken say back. All the news. Oh, no, no, oh, no. I, I was oh, talking about oh. you. You complimenting me professionally. I don't want to. I don't want to just... crap on any of my other colleagues. Oh, no, 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 no. Just... A wonderful and fine job. Yeah, no, no. Just take, take, take the. Uh, as, I, as I was always once told, take credit and take you know accept congratulations, even if you had nothing to do with it. Yes, that's a fair point. It uh, is because you always in, get in, look. You know that at some point in the next. Ten days, you're going to get blamed for something you didn't do. So if you if people are crediting you with something you didn't do, take it now. It all it all works out in the wash. See, I'm going to put that in my book. Life lessons from Jeff Blair. I'm going to put that in my I like book. That. Put that in my book. I, I I think one of the chapters is not going to be how to get to break on time. So at least you can do you know at least you know some things. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. Hey, speaking of the deadline, uh, 
who 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 did you I'm trying to forget how to, I was going to say who did you like that what they did you know what I mean which team do you think did well at the deadline and which teams do you think underachieved uh I like the Texas Rangers and I like the Houston Astros because they went for it and this is going to sound weird because if I were the general manager for the Los Angeles Angels I would have thought it's absolutely bonkers to hold on to Shohei Otani and to then double down and trade for Lucas Giolito and trade for Randall Grichuk and trade for CJ Crone and just keep adding and adding and adding. But I love as a baseball fan, the intrigue and the drama that that brings, because, you know, if Shohei Otani got traded Jeff to a contender he would be playing in October and we would get to witness that. And that would be wonderful. But I feel like this is almost like the end of the first act Mm -hmm. of a really good story where the stakes here for the angels are just enormous. It's not just for the angels. It's for Artie Moreno as an owner. Um, If Shohei Otani doesn't resign with the angels, uh, they're going to be a disaster for a long time to come. And if he does, it's, it essentially saves the franchise from oblivion. And I, I don't know, as somebody who loves big stakes, uh, there are no greater stakes right now than the angels. So while baseball wise, it was, uh, frankly reckless and, and like seemingly full of moral hazard, uh, just as, something to watch down the stretch i find it utterly fascinating and thus i enjoyed that part of it as well do you think we learned anything about what may happen in the offseason with shohei otani from what happened or didn't happen at the deadline and i'm i'm you know i'm looking at teams like the new york mets doing what they did or the dodgers not doing what they did, 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 did any any clues yeah. as to who will be uh, actively pursuing him here, here's why I'm going to say no to that. Maybe maybe in hindsight we look back and say, oh, yeah, you know, that, that did tell us something. But the way that I look at it is every, every move that is made by a team should be independent of Otani because Otani is such an outlier, is such a difference maker, is such an absolute freak compared to the rest of baseball players that it's almost like you can't plan for him. You just have to luck into him. You're not going to convince him to sign with you. He's going to decide where he's going to sign. Uh, He's the one with all of the power in this situation to the point where I was, you know, I was thinking, remember when Alex Rodriguez doubled the maximum set or the Mm -hmm. the guaranteed salary for a player. Mm -hmm. I think, I think prior to him, the highest contract given out was 126 million and Alex Rodriguez got 252 million. I'm not saying Shohei Otani is going to double the 425 that Mike Trout made, but when we're looking like at the next level, it's around 360 or so million dollars. Would it shock you if a baseball owner came in and said, you know what? Everyone else is going 600 plus fine. 700, 12 years, 60 million a year. Let's do it. Would that, like, how much would that surprise you, if at all? You know, it wouldn't, it, it, 
it, nothing would nothing would surprise me because I think the yeah. other aspect, the other part of Shohei Otani is you just you you know that that the the value he brings in terms Bingo. of jersey sales and Bingo. marketing and all that you, you know you if you're a smart businessman you're gonna you're gonna yeah. make money on it jeff before you answer that question how about cramps like i know the cramp issue will that be an issue going forward with him because he's been going through that when it comes to i know he's going to get paid but will it be an issue about what he'll get paid I don't think that cramps are going to be an issue when he gets paid, but I think what what the cramps imply, which is that pitching and hitting at the same time is a really, really difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. And if we are giving Shohei Otani 12 years, do we reasonably believe that he is going to pitch and hit in each of those 12 years when he throws as hard as he does and when he's had a Tommy John surgery before? No. No, nobody reasonably would believe that. If he does that, of course he does it because he's Otani, because he just does things that none of us could ever fathom be done. But is there the expectation that that's going to be the case? No, and that's why I think some teams are going to be scared off and some teams are going to try and get creative with their offers. But there's going to be one team, and even though the New York Mets, like, let's just look at the Mets, Jeff. The New York Mets are taking a step back in 2023. Pretty evident at this point when you go and trade your, you know, two future Hall of Famers, Cy Young Award winners, and essentially pay for prospects, right? right? Don't you think that the perfect way to buttress the down year of 2024 with the let's get back up in 25 and 26? is by selling out the stadium every night because the greatest attraction we've seen in baseball since God knows who is in your stadium 81 times a year. Yeah. Like that's the value that Otani brings. I, you know, I, I know people who are listening love the Jays and people somehow despite themselves where I live still love the Royals mm-hmm. and people in New York love the Yankees and Mets and people in LA love the Dodgers. Everybody loves Otani. Yeah. <laughs> Every, you you cannot watch the guy and think that there's anything wrong with him. He plays the game the right way, so to speak. Um, and what he does is transcendent and magnificent. I think he is baseball. I think we are watching something historic happening right now. And because of that, the the price could go as as high as who knows and still be worth it. You know, it's it, hearing you say that. I, I thinking back to the, you know the players I've covered, the players I like, the players I thought were the best players I'd seen, and all that. And Otani, because of how he is, because of where he's played, he might be the first one in a long time that nobody dislikes because it's not like he played for the Yankees. So if you're a Red Sox fan, you don't got that. It's not like he played for the Red Sox. If you're a Yankees fan, you don't got that. He didn't play for the Dodgers. So if you're a Giants fan, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, hasn't done steroids. You know, and, and I, I'm just, I, I'm thinking literally, I don't know if we've seen, if if we've seen a megastar in this game like that because, you know, A-Rod was a I lightning mean, was, rod. It, was, was it Trout? Or do you just not think Trout ever reached that category despite being like the best player. I don't think I don't think Trout like our family watched the World Baseball Classic. Um I 
Two of them aren't huge baseball fans. They like baseball, but they aren't huge baseball fans. They certainly wouldn't watch a game that didn't involve the Blue Jays. And they watch because yeah. of Shohei Otani. And I, yeah. I think that's the big, I think that's the big se- separator between Trout and Otani. Plus, you know what? Otani looks like he's having fun. And, I mean, Mike Trout, I'm not criticizing him, but he seems, he seems pretty happy doing what he's doing. But Shohei Otani, to me, is more entertaining just to look at and watch him go about his business than Mike Trout is. Yeah, I think that's I think that's reasonable, and I think the fact that we're saying that about a designated hitter is hilarious hmm. because this is a guy who, on the days when he's not pitching, essentially shows up four times. Yeah, like he's not doing anything out in the field. He's you know he's coming to the plate four times and he's running the bases, and that's about all you're going to see out of him. And yet we're still transfixed, which I think is a testament to how remarkable the things he does really are. Jeff, Baltimore was just here. They took three out of four from the Blue Jays. I, I was watching Baltimore. They're very athletic. They have a very good lineup. They They're are. very hard to pitch to. They have a very good they bullpen. Are. Jeff, you know what they don't yeah. have to win a World Series? A number one pitcher. Do you think they can win it without that? Yeah, I mean, we've seen teams win World Series without number one starters, right? Um, I mean, do, you know, Let's let's first, Kevin, define what a number one starter is. Is a number one starter an actual ace, or is it a guy who's sort of on the cusp or like facsimile of an ace? Because I love Kevin Gosman. I think Kevin Gosman's great. Mm-hmm. In my definition of number one, Kevin Gosman's not a number one. No. No. I think I think that is a list that is reserved for very, very few people, and you have to have been doing it for a long time, and uh, there cannot be flaws, and, well, not not clear flaws. And I usually think before I give a guy like a one, I, I mean, I, I don't know how many ones there are in baseball right now, frankly. Like Garrett Cole, maybe? Um, yeah. Beyond that, it's, it's guys toward the end of their careers. And – you know, I, I think someone like Gosman or someone like Spencer Strider are, are like scratching the surface. Are you just talking about someone when you put him out there on the mound, you are reasonably sure you're going to get seven good innings out of him? Predictable. Even playoff team? Predictable. You know, you know sort of what you're going to get when the lights are the brightest. I will say when I was listening yeah. to you talk there, because of the elevated fastball and how hard it is to hit and how hard it mm-hmm. is to lay off of, it's almost like you can piece it together. If you have velocity, which now all these teams have, the Blue Jays are going out and getting yeah. it, and that's a must to have it. And if you can somewhat make the elevated fastball look like a strike and throw enough of them for called strikes, you might be able to yeah. get away with not having a true number one and a predictable guy that can pitch game one and game seven. That's not a Verlander like Houston went out and got, right? Yeah. And and I think that, you know, I go back and look at Kansas City in 2015. And to me, the, the Royals, you know, Johnny Cueto wasn't a one that year. Uh, and they certainly didn't really have any other ones in their rotation. I mean, James Shields, you know, um, they they went out and got him. He'd like he ate innings. But uh, that that staff that they had when they won the World Series in 2015, I you know I'm sorry, it just was not 
filled with guys yeah. who were frontline starters. Um, it, remind me, the Braves, yeah, I guess Max Fried is a one. So in 2000, Dodgers, yeah, that, that was the COVID year, though. Nationals, yeah, the, you know, Strasburg was a one that year. Um, Red Sox, though. Red Sox in 18, like, was was Chris Sale a yeah. one that year? Was Lester there? No. No, Lester no, wasn't Lester, there. Lester like, wasn't there. No, it, it is a it, – it, it's an interesting point. I think sometimes we just sort of assume that you need that that – that number one. And I mean, I would, ar- you yeah, know, I would because, argue this. You know why? Because it's, because it's nice to have it. Yeah. Like it's great to have the one. Um, but I think you can, I think you can win without it. See, well, sorry, Jay, you know what it is too. We put so much on a manager's plate in the playoffs that if you don't have a yeah. number one, they have to be almost perfect. I can just remember John Snyder on when he, he was taking out Gosman and the heat he took and how it went and how people frowned on that and how they looked at it. It's probably fair that they did that. He took him out too soon. Well, he but admitted I, he took him out too soon. Absolutely. So yeah. I think that's what it is, right? Yeah. It just sort of takes away the unknowns that we have that day taken care of. I don't have to manage that day because normally you're really good playoff World Series teams have a couple of no-brainers in your bullpen that if I take care of those innings and I get it to the seventh inning, I got a seventh inning guy, an eighth inning guy, and a ninth inning guy. I just have to get it to the seventh inning guy. I think that's sort of what it is for me anyway. Yeah, I I think that's fair. But I also, you know, let's look at Blake Snell a few years ago. Like Blake Snell, I think it was the year he won the Cy Young mm-hmm. that Kevin Cash took him out, right? Yeah. No, I, you know, I watched watching the Orioles when they were here, um, and you know, and and adding Flaherty. To, to me, it was a per, it was a, it was a it was a good ad. First of all, I mean, Mike Elias isn't gonna, isn't going to come out and say it. I don't think. But I don't think anybody thought this was the Orioles' year. Next year, maybe next year's the Orioles' year. But I like the fact that just everything Brandon Hyde said, we had Brandon Hyde on actually a couple of months ago, and one of the things he talked about that worried him about his team or concerned him was just the workload. Like, you know, he, that, it was just after he took, uh, just after he went through a whole series without Felix Batista pitching. And he just said, I'm doing this because I'm, I'm cognizant of the fact that we're going to rely on this guy. And I like the pickup yeah. of Flaherty because what it's going to do, I don't really, it's not that I don't care what he does in terms of performance, but now all of a sudden, Dean Kramer and Tyler Wells, I can manage those innings a little more now. That's what I want Flaherty to do. I want him to give me six and two-thirds yeah. or seven so I can manage their innings a little bit. And then when we get to the playoffs, we can you know, we can figure it out. Maybe we piggyback guys. We don't need five starters. Maybe we piggyback guys. That's You know, that's, that's a big part of it, too. There are a lot more days off during the playoffs yes. than there are in the regular season. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why, I mean, let's remember – Houston back in 2017. I mean, I listen, I understand different story, but right. if we remember how they went about things, it was Lance McCullers and, and Charlie Morton, you know, going back to back and you find creative ways to get around your deficiencies in October. And I, I appreciated what Michael Elias did at the deadline because I think it was a, a reasonably 
good get in Jack Flaherty with uh, a decent bit of upside, but at at a cost that does not in any way impede what they're trying to do going forward. And that's the, I mean, that's the crazy thing about where the Orioles are right now. The Orioles have like five hitters in their system who would be the number one hitter in 20 systems. That's how deep, that's how deep they are. And by the way, that's not counting Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman and Colton Kowser and Jordan Westberg and these guys who are already there. Mm. That's in addition to them. It's Jackson Holiday. It's Heston Kerstad. Uh, it's Kobe Mayo. It's Samuel Basalo. You go on and on and on. And it's just a, it, it's an embarrassment of riches. The closest thing I can remember to this, guys, and maybe this is because I grew up watching it, was the, the 1990s Cleveland Indians mm-hmm. when they didn't have room for Richie Sexton and Brian Giles and Sean Casey and others because there were so many good hitters on that team already that they just ended up moving the guys to different places where they all turned into all-stars too. Jeff, it's really good to hear you again, my friend. Thanks mm-hmm. so much. Keep it going. Hope boys. Glad you're doing better. And uh, yeah, we'll be in touch. Thanks buddy. See you pal. See ya. Take care. Jeff Passan. The SPN. Yeah, that it, it is an interesting discussion about. I cause I kind of wondered about that. You know, like I get what you're saying, but does Justin Verlander get the ball in Game One for yeah, the Astros? Yeah, I think so. I think it's Ooh. Valdez. You've seen how it looks in Game One than Game Two. I mean, he just oh, looks yep. more comfortable Game Two than he does Game One. Like you the also lights saw are, Verlander. Verlander I, scuffled I, last yeah, year. Yeah, I think I think it's more about your team. It's about who's around you. I don't know. I, I know the games change. I know the elevated fastballs change a lot of things. Like it, it's 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 eliminated the the lefty specialist. Period. And yeah. you watch these games. If you can throw a competitive elevated fastball with velocity, not down the middle to a left-handed hitter, most left-handed hitters. Now there's the Freddie Freemans of the world who can get on top of that and hit that the other way, but he's not human. And there's everybody else. If you can do that, if you're right-handed, I think that helps a lot. It'll be intriguing to see how they handle that, right? It's sort of everybody just needs that guy. Do yep. the Orioles have that guy? That's the that that's I think that's why Does Houston Boston went have out that there. guy. No, that's why you're not talking about Boston. No. Does Atlanta? Yeah, I think so. Spencer they've been Strider? there. Yeah, they've been there and done it. Absolutely. I mean, those are bazillion. L.A. Uh, Kershaw. No, I mean, they, I think they think they do. Yeah. They think they do. I, I think it's very important that he comes back and is that guy. Like it's, I I just think that time of the year. I think you're begging a little bit. If, I don't if, know about. We'll go find if, out. If, if you think Clayton Kershaw is anything more right now than a number three. Yeah, I think I think you're way off base there. I think he before he got hurt, he was really really good. I mean, his ERA was a little over two. Like he was yeah. really really good. Now October, that's a different story, right? So maybe. I mean, he's had his woes in October. So it's just an, it's an intriguing conversation that I think again, there's some things that will help that along because of their bullpen with the Orioles, because of athleticism, because of youth that just don't really care. That's just better than everybody else, and you know a manager that's just managing because of the way he sees his team look. Like there's a there's a different way everybody handles things, and that'll be intriguing to see. Because there is something to that. I think there is something to the manager having a guy that when he just hands the ball to him, 
Today's win day. I'll worry about tomorrow. There's only a handful of teams that have that. And the handful of teams that do have it are in the conversation to win the World Series. That's what I think. Yeah, I, I, but I also think what Jeff said about the off days also factors in here. Yeah, that helps too. And I think you can probably, um, you know, we talked, uh, I think you can probably piece things together a little bit. Again, for, for, for me, with the, the, genius of what, the genius of what Baltimore did is they didn't, they made a trade to address an overall issue. It wasn't a specific weakness. The overall issue was let's help our manager manage innings of a bunch of dudes who haven't been down this road before. That's what I liked about that deal. Like, it was very, um, it didn't cost anything, yeah. but it, you know what? It, it helped. It helped Tyler Wells. It helped Dean Kramer. It helped the bullpen. I think it was a, I think it was a really smart move. And, and again, you made this point about the Orioles too. You know what? Look where they are right now. They're there without having had a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you saw them here. Do they, do they look to you like a team that's going to wilt when the lights They're, are brightest? Well, you will I don't see. Know. Like it's, it's different in October. I would assume never played in October, but the people I've talked to, it's just different. I mean, you walk around different. You it smells different. It looks different. The lights are brighter. Like it's different. Yeah. Oh, we'll see. Uh, we'll also see tonight what Alec Manoa brings to the picture. Mm. 7-10 is the first pitch tonight. The Jays against the Boston Red Sox looking for their first win of the year against the Red Sox. Danny Jansen's in the cleanup spot. George Springer's hitting second. Davis Schneider gets to make his major league debut. Looks like the weather's holding up. They're getting ready for the anthems, getting ready for the first pitch. And with that, we're out of here. We'll be back tonight with Blue Jays Talk. We'll be back Monday as well. No long weekend for us. Thanks for joining us. It's been Blair and Barker on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet. Sportsnet.